Hello and welcome back to The Cine Skinny, the film podcast from the people behind The Skinny. It's Jamie Dunn here and I'm still looking around Glasgow Film Festival watching a bunch of amazing films and speaking to some of the filmmakers who have brought their work to town. And today I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to Canadian filmmaker Matt Johnson, who's visiting Glasgow with his new film Blackberry. In hilarious fashion, the film chronicles the rise and sharp decline of the world's first smartphone. Jay Baruchel stars as the naive inventor of the Blackberry, Mike Lazadaris. Only Sunny in Philadelphia's Glenn Howerton is fantastic as Jim Balselli, the shark-like businessman who helped Mike sell Blackberry to the world. And Johnson himself plays Doug Fragan, the vest-wearing tech pro who started the company with Lazarus, but would rather have a good time than be in business. The film is a delight, and it's a world away from the tragic moral tales like the social networker jobs. Johnson's approach is less ostentatious, bringing these tech giants down to a human level and telling a story full of wit and pathos. He clearly has a lot of affection for these lovable nerds from Waterloo, Canada, who had a dream and made it come true, for a short time at least. I sat down with writer, director and star Matt Johnson to discuss the film. Take a listen to our wide-ranging chat. How are you enjoying Glasgow so far? Well, I just arrived, but I really love it. I've met two charming couples, one admittedly from England, who are in their 90s, who sat next to Carly and I at breakfast, and were so wonderful. They said blessings to a long life to us. Um, And then I just met a Scottish couple at the coffee place down the street, um, that way, the main market street, uh, and it was a delicious coffee. Um, and they gave us a little um, intellectual tour of the whole city. They told us to go to the West End. They told us to go into the South where there's some new restaurants opening. Okay. They told us all the places to go. They told you, told you the posh places. They, they? Well, yeah. I want to hear the real places yeah, from yeah. you. Because okay. what I love is uh, fish and chips, which I hear I can get quite well here. And um, I love bizarre food, which I also hear I can get. Now, here, everything is, here's deep fried. We love to deep fry, yeah. Yeah, this is a trend that's slowly making its way to Toronto, I have to tell you. Yeah. But I've heard it goes as far as deep frying pizza and hamburgers here. Oh yeah, everything haggis, all sorts. Anything Mars bars? Well, the deep fried Mars bars we've had in Toronto for about a decade. But deep fried pizza, I can't even picture. Like, I don't even know what that would be. Yeah, you need to be really drunk though. So if you're having a good night out... I would then that's when I'll find you and we'll go to the deep fried pizza I would, place. I would recommend that. So, so but it's your first time in Glasgow? Yeah, I've never been in my life. And I'm half Scottish, so it's really quite... Oh, well, yeah. of course you are, because you're Canadian. Yeah, I know. Well, Canada's invented by Scots. Yeah. It's why I love it here. Um, but to the homeland. It, but I, I'll tell you things that I'm really looking forward to and I hope happen to me while I'm here. I'm a big fan of Limmy. You know this guy? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, like, my editors and I, Bobby and Kurt, love Limmy. We think this guy's a genius. Yes, yeah. I think he's funnier than just about everybody, but he's virtually unknown. Yeah, I mean, walk down South Hill Street, you sometimes hear him. I, I'll, I'll hear him. I can hear him talking. He, he's, he's, he's funnily omnipresent in Glasgow, so just walking around, you'll probably bump into him. Well, that would be a dream come yeah. true for me. You'll see him around. Uh, yeah. But you'll see a lot of his characters just kicking around as well. <laughs> like, basically, those are, that's the documentary. Like, a lot of them, so. Uh, so, yeah, back to Blackberry. So... There's something deeply unsexy about the BlackBerry. Um, That's right. You know, it was this kind of utilitarian device, like that just made people work all the time. You know, it didn't have games or couldn't take photos. It was uh, also you say unsexy, which is completely true, but it was also extremely uncool. Yes. There was nothing cool about it, which is, in my opinion, what was so shocking about the fact that it took off. 
It was like our culture wanted a smartphone so badly that they were willing to look stupid to use it <laughs> compared to what now an iPhone looks like and does. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it shows a deep need for whatever the hell that product was. Uh, did you ever have one? Were you, too, you know, you're too young, probably. No, I had never even touched a BlackBerry before we started making a movie. Yeah. I knew what they were, obviously, and, and it was a Canadian product, so it, it had a close affi affiliation to me. But I had never, I had never even clicked one of the buttons before we started making the film. So, so what, what was the driving force, and what, what made you want to make this story? Exactly what you had just said. Believe it or not, the fact that it was such a almost re repulsive idea. And I mean repulsive in the physics sense. Um, not that it was ugly, but that I thought, oh, if we make a movie about Blackberry, it will at once be broadly appealing in a way, well, people will know what it is, but it also will on its face seem as though the movie will be so boring and so um, uh, standard and by the book that when people actually get to the cinema and watch it, they'll be going, well, what the hell is this? Because the, my cinematic style is so, is in some ways I think the opposite of, of what a standard biopic, I don't want to say my, my style is anti-boring because it's, it's too self-congratulatory, but what I mean is that it is in no way normal yeah. and it's challenging. And I thought if I can combine that style with something extremely bland on its face, that could make for an interesting experience. Like there's sort of a trick to it. Like these people are not celebrities. They're very humble. I'm talking about the characters now. Um, Mike, Jim, and Doug are all very low stakes, very Canadian. And you'd never think, oh, these people deserve a movie. And so by giving them a movie, I think it, it does what I like best about, about uh, stories. All my films are trying to fool the audience into caring more about watching it than they thought they would, right? Yeah. I always want audiences to think, this is a piece of shit. Why am I wasting my time with it? And then it kind of captures them somehow, if, if it's working. I know a lot of people just don't get past that first phase yeah. with my films. <laughs> well, I think it's really instructive to compare it to things like, you know, the social network mm -hmm. or jobs, which are very slick. And very perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, and they're very manicured. Yeah, and they're, and they're also like a little bit pretentious. There are these kind of tragic stories, they're kind of moral tales. They're operatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, your film is not. Not in, in, in an intentionally small scale, uh, but again, I think that might be a part of its Canadian-ness. Um, it's funny, I think in, in approaching the story, what interested me and, and, and Matt Miller, my co-writer and, and producer of the movie, was that we recognized ourselves in the guys. Mm. They didn't seem untouchable. Like, let's say if you put the Steve Jobs uh, biography in my hands, I'd be reading it thinking like, whoa, I'm nothing, like, I could never even approach this guy because they've been lionized like they're, they're icons in a way and that creates a distance between them and me where I would never even feel as though I had the right to tell their story nor would I want to there's too much baggage whereas these guys I thought oh these are just Canadian kids trying to do something interesting and they had no idea what they were doing and that very much echoed my youth trying to make movies with my friends where you get something it's slightly successful and then all your friendships change and things go bad I was like oh this is exactly what happened with me and my friends. So when you were planning these, the film and these kind of three characters, so you've got Mike, who's the kind of genius who invented it, you've got uh, Doug, who's the kind of like uh, like tech bro, who's just his pal, you know, who's the kind of heart and soul of the He's kind of the mascot. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And then you've got uh, Glenn Howerton's character, Jim, who's this kind of like 
you know, Gordon Gecko like psychopath. Mm. Um, you know, like, uh, do you have those three actors in mind? Or you are yourself and those two actors in mind? Well, look, it's very interesting when you cast a film in Canada. I'm not sure if it's the same in the UK or in Scotland, but there's a huge pressure to work only with Canadian actors um, from our financing. And so we always wanted Glenn to play this role, but it was very difficult for us to convince our partners that we could get an American to play it. So yes, but we didn't think we were going to be able to get him because he's an American and not a Canadian. And so when we were finally able to convince everybody that he was perfect, it was like a, I think I sent him the script, he read it, and then the next day he had agreed to do it. Like he saw what, what we saw, yeah. which is that he was just perfect for this. It's like, it's like the character was written for him. Um, and it was his idea to shave his head. It was his idea to like go as far with it as he did. I did very little directing with him. Like very little. He just came, did his scenes. He knew everything. He was extremely serious. I think a lot of people don't realize that Glenn began as a Juilliard actor. He was never intending to be a comedian. And his career has taken him to a place where people think of him strictly as a comedy first actor. And the fact is, he is, in my opinion, way more suited for serious drama. He takes his work so seriously. So seriously. Like, no mistakes. Like, like new ideas every single time. Most focused, most dedicated guy on set. It was unbelievable to watch. And people don't realize, I, I have a feeling that he's going to have a long dramatic career after this, at least I'm hoping. And um, I think you're going to see a lot more interesting stuff from him. Because he, that's what he wants. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. But yes, it does also have this kind of quality of he, he channels darkness. You know, he's he's got yeah. this, get that in him. You know, well, he can't not be funny. Yeah. That's what I said. He was like, "Well, I'm not doing this funny at all." And I'm like, "You don't understand. People are going to think this is hilarious." And I'm not sure how you feel, but to me, every word that comes out of his mouth, I'm like, "This is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life." Like him losing it, him becoming so desperate, the decisions he makes, even though he's playing it all for drama, I, I think he's the funniest guy in the movie. The style of the film is also pretty interesting because it's almost it's almost flying the wall. You know, it's, you get an impression that there's just somebody around the corner peeking mm-hmm. around the, the monitors to see what's going on, um, which again is also very different from like things like the Social Network or Jaws, which are super slick, right. you know, kind of like you say operatic style. So, what, how did you come up with that aesthetic? Well, I've been using that style since I began. I was a huge fan of of documentary filmmaking when I was younger, and specifically like very handheld like there's a there's a Penny Baker movie called The War Room which uh, charts uh, the Clinton original campaign to become president and that was a huge inspiration for my friends and I like that shooting style other kind of era documentaries we watched a lot of but even before like I really liked like Haskell Wexler movies I really really like um, the, the Orson Welles movie F for Fake if you've ever seen it that's probably my favorite movie ever made and I think what I've always been trying to do is use these documentary, use documentary grammar to trick audiences into feeling that something is actually happening as opposed to it being staged. On set, we always use the term uh, found rather than placed. Like we want everything that the audience sees to seem like the cameras found it as opposed to the filmmakers placed it and then showed it, right? And I don't know why that is. I think that 
in some ways it's a distancing technique for myself to be a little bit uh, less perfectionist about the actual making of the film because I like the I feel very free by the idea that the camera can randomly capture something that I could never have thought of but also I think it protects me from an ego point of view because it means that there isn't as much pressure on me beforehand to know exactly what it is that I want because I'm not very good at conceptualizing how I want my films to be before I see them. I'm much better at reacting to them and that's a real weakness of me as a filmmaker but I'm trying to turn it into a strength where I try to create an environment where it's literally chaos happening and the cameras are doing whatever they want. I'm not telling the cameras go here, go there. Like They're following their own intelligence and we're always shooting two cameras at the same time. And so then it gives me and my editors the freedom to, to then see what's been selected and go, okay, now that's really compelling and that's really compelling. And then we just try to cut only the compelling stuff back to back. So it began this technique as an homage to the documentaries that my friends and I really loved. But now it's become, I think, a really useful tool. I'll tell you another thing it does really well. And this is a great tip for young filmmakers. And that's that when you're on set, you're trying to shoot coverage, which is you're normally trying to shoot wides, mediums, and close-ups. And those are typically different setups. So you'll shoot your master, and then you'll do a take or two like that, and then your medium, and then your close-ups. And those are separate moments. But with us, it the zoom lenses and this filmmaking style allowed us to finish every single scene in four or five takes total because at any moment when the actors really transform or maybe they bring up their energy we can go into a close-up instantly yeah. and so we can start in our wide and once we feel like we've got it we can transform the shot mid-take and that makes it a lot easier to shoot on a low budget a lot easier um, but you would never think that when watching it. You don't think of it as a time-saving technique. It also sounds a little bit like Robert Altman, his style of like you know capturing people off guard. Yeah, like huge that. influence. I would say I would say Altman, um, especially some of those 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 crazy um, um, uh, uh, troop movies that he made, are a huge influence. Specifically around how we were shooting the engineers in this movie, like the other people at Rim One, how. The, this, those are all filmmakers. Those are all Toronto filmmakers who are playing those engineers. And the idea was, how can we make it seem like this is an actual engineering department and these guys actually know each other and they're actually friends? So miking everybody and shooting them just randomly, obviously very stolen from Altman. Like, yeah. very, very stolen. I think it's actually a really honest film about capitalism, you know, because you've got, like I say, uh, Glenn Howerton's character you know, is this ruthless figure but his, his style is actually quite useful because without him, Mike would still be in the basement. There'd be nothing. Yeah. There'd be nothing. But also, there comes a point where capitalism just gets too greedy. Of course. And, and, and you know, this idea that you have to, there has to be more growth and more innovation is essentially the, the problem with the, the company. So, like, uh, yeah, so, so it seems like, is that something you were interested in exploring? Capitalism and its kind of it, pros it, and cons? I mean, I don't think I'm that big of a thinker. I, I Certainly the, the ossification of a company like this because they became so in love with their own product it maybe is a comment on how in capitalism you need to it, innovate or die is, a, is it, it, like a slogan of it. But I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Like I look at what happened to BlackBerry and I see that they just ceased to be relevant 
in terms of the idea economy and so capitalism destroyed them. I think a world where that company was able to maintain its level of success without changing their product, I don't think I want to live in that world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, the fact is these guys were, I think, kind of, they were not visionaries. I'll say it this way. And this is what I've always thought about them. I don't think of Mike, Doug, and Jim as visionaries at all. I don't think they saw a future where this product was being used. I think they were much more utilitarian and they saw a technological opportunity to make a device that could use the freestanding Wi-Fi that existed that nobody was using to send emails. And I think that they were interested in the small, tangible product of it. They were not interested in the cultural impact which somebody like a Steve Jobs really did see. And so I think that it's naive to think that there'd be an iPhone without a BlackBerry. I, I feel as though the iPhone was a cultural revolution, whereas the BlackBerry was just a technical uh, revolution. But your question was about capitalism, and I, I think I'm trying to understand it. It's, yeah, the film, I suppose, in some level is commenting on the capitalistic process of product churn and idea churn, but really it was almost more how that interacted with friendships and communities and how I think if you ask Doug, well, what amount of success would you trade your lifestyle and friendships for? He would say none. Like I would trade it for none. Like he's in some ways like a representing an almost kind of socialist, like we should be at work because work is enjoyable to us and that should be the end of it. Whereas Jim and Mike... Well, for different reasons. Jim is really the exact opposite. It's we should be at work to accumulate power, as much power as possible, so that we can have power over other people. But Mike, I think tragically, was thinking, oh, capitalism can be used to make the world better. And he really does believe that. And to his credit, I think he stuck to that throughout most of the movie until he kind of sold out in order to, uh, uh, well... I mean, you saw the film. Yeah, I, yeah. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't say. I won't say why. But I was just wondering, as an independent filmmaker, do you have to be a bit of Jim and a bit of Mike at the same all time? Three, I'm, I'm, I, well, the three. The key for me in this film is that I'm all three of these people. If you asked any of my best friends who I'm the most like, they'd all say Jim. They would oh, yeah. all say oh, that, 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 that. That's that, not very nice. <laughs> but, but look, I look at Jim and I think, you said it yourself, these guys aren't going anywhere without Jim. Yeah. And the sad reality that not a lot of people want to face in terms of the filmmaking world is that to make movies is incredibly painful. And you need to push people to do things that are not what you would do at a normal job. It's why I make movies only with my friends. Because in order to make things that are this handmade and this specific, because we spend a lot of time making these movies, a lot of time. Like I was up last night, we're re I mean, we're changing the film quite a bit from based on what uh, is screening at festivals right now. Because we saw it in Berlin, we're like, oh man, there's a lot of problems with this, we gotta fix a bunch of shit. And so we've been completely re-editing the movie up to last night at three in the morning, we were just finishing our mix. And that's our whole team all sitting there watching the mix, making changes live, me here. I was in Ireland last night. But, but logging in, and this is like, everybody needs to get back to their lives. But we've been working on this movie more or less nonstop for almost a year. And in order to do that, you need to be kind of, you know, 
do or die. You need to be very Jim Balsley. Uh, you just need to be. Otherwise, you, like Doug's not getting anything done. But you also need to be dug a little bit because you must you, be. You, you need to be. It needs to be fun, you know. You need exactly. to enjoy your job, and you need to be coming from a culture and a shared culture. And and for me, a huge amount of my work is coming from a shared place of fraternity. And I'm trying to bring the fraternity of uh, making the work into the work. And so I'm trying to have art imitate life, in 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 specifically in this movie where you're watching the Blackberry engineers build a product, work together, and really be friends. And have camaraderie that is an echo of what's happening in the actual process of making the film. Because I don't think it would be, it would it wouldn't seem real. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't have that same energy if if on set everybody hated one another and we weren't really getting along, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But I believe sincerely that the problem with this company is that these three central philosophies got out of balance. That the idea to make the world a better place, the idea to work to accumulate power, which actually is not necessarily bad in my opinion. Like Jim's philosophy of, look, we need to be the best. We need to actually do this. We need to bring it to market. There's a great quote by Guy Kawasaki, who is an engineering philosopher at Apple in the 80s and 90s, I think. I'm probably getting that wrong. But he said that if you're shipping a revolution, it doesn't matter how broken it is. Just ship it. Just ship it. Like, like the first refrigerator in the world when everybody else was using ice to cool their stuff. The first fridge didn't matter how broken it was, how many times it busted, how heavy it was, it didn't matter. It was a fridge. And so just ship the goddamn thing, which is a line in the movie. Yeah. Like I think that that really is true because that is how progress is made. And so I think you do need to have like a mix of these three characteristics. Yeah. That's my philosophy, anyway. I was going to say, actually, you haven't contacted them. Have they None. Seen no, they haven't seen it at all. They were all interviewed for the book that we optioned, and they participated in the book, but none of them have seen this. But my sneaking suspicion is that uh, Jim is really going to like the film. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to see it and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a movie star. Yeah, that's me. Um, and I hope he does, because in my opinion, he's awesome. I think the guy's amazing, and I see a lot of myself in him. So I hope he doesn't. I mean, a lot of people are seeing it being like, wow, Jim Balsillie's a psychopath, and Jim Balsillie's insane. He's a murderer. But, uh, but I choose to see the good in a guy like that. Because no matter what he does in that film, he's not sadistic. You can't say that he's enjoying inflicting pain on people. He is inflicting pain in order to get results. And that's something that, as a director, I understand very well. <laughs> very well. So a massive thank you to Matt Johnson for speaking to us. And Lemmy, if you're listening, we'd love to put you in touch. If you missed Black Bray at the festival, don't worry. The film will release in the UK later in the year. For more information on what's on at Glasgow Film Festival, head to theskinny.co.uk slash film for all our film festival coverage. That's all from me. Thanks and see you later. Bye!